Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 16. We're going to look at that together. Let's just pray before we do. Father, we just thank you again for this opportunity we have. We just pray that you will speak to us through your word. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Abraham, a very prominent Bible character. He's mentioned 159 times in the Old Testament and 76 times in the New Testament. Now, if you do the maths, it's 235 times he's mentioned in the Scriptures. Now, the writer to the Hebrews, here in verse 8 through to 16 of chapter 11, gives us what is really a, a potted version of the life of Abraham. And in verse 17 through to 19, the bit that we didn't read, which we are going to look at um, at a later date, in that passage, he tells us how Abraham is tested by God to the limits. And that passage is very often seen as being a controversial passage where people might question the love of God or wonder what's happening. But we're not going to look at that this week. So it's Brian next week, so a week after we'll have a look at that. But read through the passage and you've got plenty of information there to read about Abraham in the scriptures and it's great to be able to do that but here in the book of hebrews the spotlight it's on abraham's faith not so much on what he did now we've got to remember that this doesn't take away any of the importance of what abraham did but it shows us how he was able to do the things that he did how by faith See, that's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. That's the subject of this one little bit of the writer to the Hebrews. He, he's writing to Jewish people who have accepted Jesus as their saviour. And it's difficult for them in those days because they've still got all that sort of, I, I hasten to call it baggage, but it was the baggage of the Old Testament. It had served its purpose, but it was important. And the writer to the Hebrews goes through the importance of that. And he, he says how important all these things are. You know, the sacrifices, Moses, the law. And then he says, look how great they are. I'm going to tell you how much greater Jesus is and how much greater the new covenant is, which hasn't sort of been written because the old covenant didn't work. The old covenant served its purpose. You know, let's put it in very simple terms you know when your old car starts to it's done everything it needs to do and it's got you to where you want to be but now you need to get a new one but it's still based on the old one it's still fulfill what you want to do that's not a very good example but i think you know where i'm probably coming from by faith abraham was called by faith abraham made his home in another place by faith, even Sarah, his wife. And we see that through those few verses. Abraham lived by faith. Abraham's faith is being recommended to us as being something that we can learn from. Now, we're highly unlikely to be called to do the things that Abraham did. But here's the point. 
we can have the same faith by which Abraham did them. Because it wasn't due to Abraham being more holy than anybody else, because he wasn't stronger than anybody else, he probably wasn't more intelligent than anybody else, because he wasn't God chosen and by faith. Abraham did all those wonderful things that we get the benefit from this morning as we look at this passage. Remember that beginning of chapter 11, those two verses that say so much. Listen to them again. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for. This is a confidence in a certain hope. Not a hope that I might get that Father's Day present. I think it's next week. But in a hope that what I hope for is certainly going to be given to me. It's a special hope. Faith. That's what it's in. Confidence in what we hope for. And it's an assurance about things that we do not see. I've never actually seen Jesus personally. I've got faith in what I've seen. And I've got hope in the knowledge that by accepting him as my saviour, I will see him. That's a certain hope. And this is what the ancients were commended for. That's what we're doing this morning. So this morning, we're going to consider verses 8 through to 16. So get your boots on. I know it's a bit warm out there. Put your hiking boots and let's walk by faith with Abraham. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Abraham heard God's call. Abraham trusted in God's word. Abraham obeyed God and followed him. You know, as a parent, sometimes you want your children to do that. And sometimes they don't always do it. Even though what you want them to do is for the eventual benefit that they will be able to reap. He heard, he trusted what was said, he obeyed, and then he followed what he'd been told. The call was accompanied by a promise, a promise, get this, that was never fulfilled in his lifetime. But his trust in God and his faith in God's promise stayed with him right through his life. You know what that required? It required perseverance. That's a great biblical word, you know. Paul uses it a lot. Perseverance. And the Apostle Paul knew all about that. He had first-hand information. Information that he shared. And the information was that believers who accept Jesus as their Savior, then that faith comes hand in hand with perseverance. Listen to what Paul said to the 
church of Thessalonica when he wrote the letter to them. It's found in Thessalonians 1, verse 3 and 4. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another, get that, is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about what does Paul boast about? All the things to do in the big congregation they've got, the widows, they dissolve good, need to do that, but this is it. We boast about your perseverance and faith. They go together. You can't separate them. Perseverance and faith. And then he goes on. In all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Don't let anyone tell you that the Christian life is easy. It's not. And it's not meant to be easy. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not worth it. Because it is. And we can see that in the life of Abraham. The call to Abraham was to go to a place and he trusted God to guide him. The promise was an inheritance that he wouldn't receive, but he would receive at a later date. An inheritance. Ah, there's a word. What do you think of when I say inheritance? Inheritance, well, it's usually something that comes to us when a person dies. Yeah? It's true, isn't it? You know, I'm getting older, I've got a son. I wonder if he's looking around and thinking, I wonder if that's part of my inheritance. I wonder if... <laughs> you know, you can't blame people if they do that. When inheritance is usually only achieved when a person dies. A believer's inheritance was delivered when Jesus died on the cross. Let's go back just a few chapters in Hebrews. You'll <clears throat> have to turn to it, I'll read it. It's Hebrews 9, verse 15. Listen to this. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Okay, here's it. Now that he has died, that's Jesus, as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under the first covenant, as well as the, old, the new covenant. Get that. That's the power. I often, you know, quote J.C. Ryle. The death of Jesus was sufficient for everyone, but is only efficient to those who believe. Get that. Good words. The inheritance that Abraham would receive was an inheritance delivered by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the inheritance that you and I can have. You know, go back to the Apostle Paul. His final words to the Ephesian elders, this is when he was about to leave them and he was going to board the boat and the elders came to see him off in the church there and he said this to them in Acts 20, 32. Now I commit to you, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified, set apart by God 
by the power of the cross. And in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 13, 14, verse 14, 13 and 14, this is what he said. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. The inheritance is there. We have it. We have it. But not completely. Verse 9 of Hebrews 11. Back to Abraham. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. See, Abraham, when he came to the land that God had led him to, his descendants would eventually take possession of that land. But ownership was given to Abraham and his descendants. So he's in this land that one day will become his descendants' land. And the promise will continue. In his lifetime, Abraham, like Isaac, and like Jacob, were in that land, and they lived in tents. Do you like camping? I love camping. I'm too old for it now, really. I could lay down on, me, on the floor and be sleeping back, but I'd struggle getting back up again. <laughs> but you know, what is a tent? A tent, it's not a permanent building. It has no foundations. It's built to be mobile. They lived in the promised land as strangers. The promise was still theirs. They would reap the benefits of it to some degree, but it wouldn't come into fruition, full fruition, during their lifetime. But the promise would be fulfilled. And it would be fulfilled by faith. Not works. Yes, their works had something to do with it, but it was their faith that was the real thing that was moving them. Hebrews 11, verse 10. For he was looking... I want you to listen carefully to this sentence. Okay. And I want you to pick something out and see if you get it before I mention it. So, listen carefully, or if you've got your Bible open, read carefully this sentence. Verse 10. For he was... Looking forward to the city with foundations whose architects and builders are God. What am I going to hold in now on now in that sentence? Okay. Abraham is not looking for a city. He's looking for the city. Get that? A little bit there. Abraham is not looking for a city he's looking for the city how was this city different from any other city it was special why was it special it had foundations but more than that God was both the architect and the builder 
Can you see Jesus in, in this passage? Can you see him in these verses? The writer to Hebrews wants us to see him. He's talking to Jewish people who are still Jewish, but they've now come to God through the power of the cross. And he's sort of saying to them, he's talking about the one in whom they now trust. He's talking about Jesus, how better the trust in him is the trust in the old covenant. So leave the old covenant, the temple worship, the veil of the temple has been ripped from top to bottom. But follow Jesus. This is the direction you are to go. And what did Jesus say? Listen to some of the words of Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That was the parable about the foolish man who built his house on the sand. It dropped down. The wise man built his house on the rock, firm foundation, and it stood firm when the storms came. This is speaking about the architect and the builder and the building. Jesus is the strong foundation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus saying, what's he saying here? It's obvious. He's saying, come to me. You can trust me. You can obey my call to come to me. And along with that call, there is a promise. What is the promise? I will give you rest. Hang on a minute. You said the Christian life isn't a bed of roses. No, it's not. Why did he say, I will give you rest? Because you've got to look at the context he said it. Context he said it in. You've got to look at who he's speaking to. You've got to look at why he said it. This is Jesus saying, "Come to me. You can trust me. You can obey me. You can obey the call." And the promise is, "I will give you rest." And then in Matthew eleven twenty nine thirty, take my yoke upon you. That means we work to do, but we're not doing it on our own. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's speaking about struggles but it's also talking about rest. What's the difference here? It is rest for your souls. You know what that means? Rest for the soul as you travel towards the city whose architect and builder is God and it's difficult and there are problems this rest is spiritual rest and you can have it in the faith that gives you confidence and assurance in the certain hope that we have in the promise that if you do that we'll end in that inheritance of eternal life So, with these thoughts in mind, let's read on in Hebrews. Verse 11, chapter 11. Changes slightly here. Another individual comes into the picture. And this is Abraham's wife. And by faith, even Sarah, there you go, not crazy. Even Sarah, she wasn't going to do, or she hadn't done really great things and all 
but he had a purpose and it was an important purpose and by saying even Sarah the writer wants us to know that look we can lift her up and put her on the same plane as Abraham her husband why and by faith even Sarah who was past childbearing age wasn't able to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise that means she trusted in God and in God's word as well she trusted <laughs> she didn't have the, the, the burden that Abraham did but she had just an important and just as an important position now listen to this Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born and we're told that Sarah was barren okay Genesis 23 verse 1 to 3 Sarah lived to be 127 127 years old she died at Kirat Abba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah, to weep over her. Then Abraham rose up beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here, that I can bury the dead. Yet the land was promised to him. They hadn't taken full possession yet. But he goes and buys a parcel of land, which is Hebron. The birth of a son to Abraham and Sarah is an essential part of the promise to Abraham. And at this point, Sarah's faith goes beyond the natural to the supernatural. She had faith in God's ability to bring about a miracle. The result of this would bring the promise of a Messiah, the one who is Jesus, the one who is known as God with us. See the importance of what's happening here. Both Abraham and Sarah were finding out that what is not possible for man, what was not possible for them, was possible with God. Let's go back to Paul again. Romans 4 verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by, you got it, faith. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11. This is when Jesus calls us to him so that he can give us rest for the souls. This is the offer to save us from the punishment of God's wrath because we are sinners who deserve his wrath. And on a human level, who is most likely to be able to get this? It's what we all want, forgiveness and acceptance by God. Who is most likely to be able to get this? Now Jesus is teaching the disciples here. In their eyes, and probably in our eyes, it would be the rich. Yeah. And if they can't get it, and who can? That's what the disciples were thinking. I'll explain that in a minute. But their thought was, hang on a minute, then. If even they 
can't be saved. How can we? It's not saying that the rich won't be saved. Just drawing the illustration in the minds of the disciples. If even they can't do it, what chance have we got? The truth is, you've got just as much chance because even they can't do it. Get that? So that's what's happening here in the parable of Jesus and the disciples didn't understand it. Listen to this, Matthew 19, 20, verse 23 to 26. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, in fact it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's the point he was getting over. He wasn't saying the rich can't be saved. He was saying, who do you think is most likely to be able to be forgiven by God? Oh, it would be the rich and the famous and the goodies. And Jesus is saying, no, no. Even they can't do it. This, the camel going through the eye of a needle. People will give different interpretations in this. There's only one interpretation. Do you know what the interpretation is? I'm going to tell you. It's impossible. <laughs> Whatever you come up with, it's impossible. And that, for me, is a great illustration. You get a camel through the eye of a needle? No, I can't. Nobody can. But it is possible if God wants it to happen. This passage in Matthew is all about hearing God's word, trusting in what he can do, and having faith in him. Knowing that he can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Got that? It wasn't Abraham. It was by faith. Abraham, by faith. Abraham, by faith. Abraham, by faith. Abel. Yeah, he looked at that, didn't he? By faith. And as we go through these characters, it's all by faith. And this is having the assurance that faith gives us about the hope we have in the things that we do not actually see with our eyes. But you see it with your heart. Briefly back to Abraham, verse 12. And so from this one man, and as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand in the seashore. This part of the promise is important as it seems to is is this part of the promise is as impossible as it seems to be. But it has been fulfilled. Hebrews 11, 13 through to 24. If these people were still living by faith when they died, they didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a city of their own. You see, they saw the promise being fulfilled but they didn't see the promise being completed but you know what stuck out to me in that little passage you just read these few verses and I stopped and I thought about them still living by faith 
they died. There's a great thought here. Living by faith, they died, and they died in faith, and their faith continued. What was their faith? It was the trust in God. It was trust in the promise. And they still had that faith when they walked into glory. And I think that's a great phrase. You know, I just think, oh, well, still living by faith. When they died, well, it's all finished now, we've died. No, they're still living by faith. Isn't that great? 15 and 16. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They didn't turn back. They had opportunity. But they were faithful to the promise from God. Abraham, even at one point, sent his servant back to bring a wife for his son. But he didn't go back. He kept on the journey. The journey wasn't easy at times. Abraham failed many times. Read the rest about him. But through his failings, he stayed faithful to God. There's a message for us. If you know Jesus as your saviour, And God delivered him. Yeah. Now I'm going to finish now by reading you a passage from Ephesians. It's chapter 2 verse 1 through to 10. The reason I'm going to read this is because I'm a great believer in letting God speak to us directly through his word. You know people come to Christ. If they've got no other contact other than having a Bible. Or having a verse. Or having a, 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 a memory from a hymn that they've sung. See God by the power of his Holy Spirit can speak to us. And I just want to let these few verses that Paul wrote to the Ephesians to just let them speak for themselves. Let them challenge us. If you know Jesus as your Saviour, then praise God. If you don't, the question I've got is, why not? Just listen to these. Speaking to the church, just like Paul's here. He's speaking to us. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. But when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, glorifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But, great word that. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to be good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you in our weakness and sometimes in our confusion. Lord, our Father, we just pray that you will just clear all those things from our minds and our hearts that will distract us in these few moments. We might concentrate our thoughts on you and what you have been saying to us through your word. Father, help us to not only understand this subject of faith, but to know the truth of it, that it is God-given, given to those who come to Jesus with their sins, lay their burdens down at his feet, take up their cross and follow. Father, we ask these things in his precious name. Amen.